As the lights go down and the picture on the screen comes up, all you see is this thick haze. And the fog has rolled over the cliffs and it's making its way down in the valley for the evening. And as the camera pushes through the wisp of, of smoke, you come across these large silhouettes that one by one go by. I realize that they're, they're boulders, the thickets of the dried olive trees. And as the camera hangs now motionless on this pass, one by one they start to emerge. Large silhouettes. And as they push their way through this dense fog, you start to see their faces. They're huge, beastly men. Their hair is wild and unkept. Their beards are matted. They have face paint on. Many of them, scars on the limbs, arms, shoulders from the battles last fought. Every one of them carrying some sort of crude weaponry. Large sticks with points on the end for spears. Some with swords, some with shields. Some have that little spiky bowling ball on the end of the chain. As they make their way down through every nook and cranny, I think it's a small group of these burly men. But as the camera goes past the ridge, I realize in every place you conceivably walk over the hillside, they start streaming in like ants. There's thousands of them. They'll find in small groups these spots where they can make bedding for the night and flames start to spring up all the way down the ridge line as the campfires are set. They will cook their game on the open flame without utensils or manners. They will just rip the meat with their teeth right off the bone. They will make crude bodily noises. And even though it's a screen, I can tell their breath stinks. Their teeth are jagged and black. Their horses tied in the thicket around him. Give this, and you see all the muscles and tendons in him. Steam comes from the nostrils. Oh, it's a scene. I'm munching down on my big bucket of popcorn extra butter. I got my giant Diet Coke because they cancel each other out, and I know this is going to be good. As the camera leaves the hillside, it takes us down across the valley. There's a small stream in the middle where the butterflies flutter and the rabbits frolic and up the other side. A similar scene, and yet quite different. Through all the trails and the nooks and crannies, they also stream over. They'll also find places to make fire for the night, but very different. As these are crude and rugged and dressed in leather and animal skin, these guys seem to be well kept, nice, tidy. They greet each other cordially. Bill, good to see you at the war. Give my regards to Martha. They sit down and they cut their meat in little pieces with fork and knife. They chew it 32 times before swallowing. And I realize we are set for an epic battle of good versus evil. And it does what only cinematography can do. Where the screen goes dark just for a moment. And when it comes up again, you see a gray light silhouetting now the ridge line, and it soon turns to an orange as that giant ball of fire starts to arc across the sky again. The camera will take us with the first rays of light back to the creek in the middle. And there from a distance, you hear it. Not sure what it is at first, but it starts to grow louder. As the camera pans back, you realize it is the sound of thousands armed with their gear and warfare rushing now toward the middle. 
the little ripples in the creek now start to vibrate as the ground shakes as humanity collides. It's hand to hand, fist to fist, weapon to weapon, helmet to shield. Oh, it's kind of gory. Part of me says you shouldn't watch it. Part of me goes, this is why I paid nine bucks. At that point, my wife buries her head into my shoulder and she goes, I don't want to see this. And I'm like, I do. She goes, why do you bring me here? You said it would be a love story. I said, it is. I love this story. Just watch. (laughs) Maybe it's part of growing up in West Texas. Maybe it's part of being a family with a bunch of brothers. Where if you were mad, you hit each other. If you were happy, you hit each other. If you were having fun, you hit each other. For a hobby, we hit each other. When they got too carried away, dad would come in the room and hit everybody. If that didn't work, mom came into the room and she would lay waste to anybody that was moving. It's just how we kind of grew up. There's part of me, maybe West Texas, maybe part of me is a guy. I love these scenes. But part of me, it's the curveball. It's the lesson learned in the midst of it that I will never forget. And when your pastor called me and said, Chris, is there any way you can come up in the summer and teach for a weekend? I said, well, what's it on? He goes, it's the favorites. We're doing summer favorites. What's yours? And I go, oh, I got me a story. And the lesson they learned that day, they learned the hard way. My hope, my prayer is, we will allow them to pay that dumb tax for us. We can learn it the easy way. Because the lens of scripture has already set the scene for the first three chapters in the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 4. We've already seen the first few verses. I want you to watch the rest yourself. So if you got a Bible, open it up to 1 Samuel, chapter 4. Turn on your flat screen, your iPad, your iPhone, whatever you get your Bible, your app, click on it. If you got the old pages like me, old school, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 4. It's toward the beginning of the Bible. You're only uh, maybe about an eighth of the way through, about eight books in. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, 1 Samuel. Find it. I know I skipped Ruth. It's a Chinese little chick flick. We're not watching that one today. <laughs> Ladies, it's good. It's an amazing book. I ain't doing that. Here we go. 1 Samuel 4, you got a Bible? No Bibles. Oh, you guys use PowerPoint. All right, you can look on with me. 1 Samuel 4. Ready? Here we go. I think it's going to hit the screen. Now Samuel's word came to all of Israel, and the Israelites went out to fight against the Philistines. The Israelites camped at Ebenezer. The Philistines camped at Aphek. And the Philistines deployed their forces to meet Israel. And as the battle spread, Israel was defeated by the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 of them on the battlefield. And now we know this isn't just good versus evil. This is God's people versus their mortal enemies. This is Israel, the children of God's, God's chosen people against the Philistines. And on day one, with that rush of humanity, with everybody meeting in the middle by that little creek that flows, oh, it was a bloody scene. And as that sun makes its way across the sky, as darkness starts to fall, both armies retreat back to their campfires. And before we leave the scene, the camera pans across the entire valley, and you see 4,000 of God's people laying face down in the dirt. And Israel retreats back to camp. 
And I'm a little shaken by this. Uh, that's not the way it's supposed to be. God wins. Therefore, God's people win. And I quickly glance at my watch and I realize, oh, we're just about a few minutes into this. Oh, there's time. I've seen these movies before. Good guys take a hit. Good guys get captive. Good guys get kidnapped, whatever. At the end, good guys win. That's why we pay nine bucks. So I start mowing through my popcorn. I got my Diet Coke. I start sucking it down and I'm waiting to watch. And the lens of scripture takes us up the hillside. It follows God's people back to their tents. And it takes us inside their conversations. And they have one question. My bet is today, for a lot of us, it may just be our one question. In verse 3, when the soldiers returned to camp, the elders of Israel asked, why? Why did the Lord bring defeat upon us today before the Philistines? Why? Isn't that a good question? Man, isn't that a good question? Have you been there? I mean, I mean, God forbid we ever try to get honest in church. But if we ever did, I wonder how many of us would say, I've been there. What's your questions about God? Here's my main one. Why? Why if I'm supposed to be his? Why if I'm supposed to be considered a son or a daughter? Why if I'm on his side? Why am I losing? Why am I being defeated? Why am I being beat down? Isn't that a great question? Some of you may be new at this Christian game. Some of you maybe in the last couple months or maybe a year or two have been saying, man, this is what I've been looking for. Maybe you picked up. Sometimes Christians like to talk about their life verse. We're good at that. Out of this entire book, we pick the words that make us feel really good about ourselves and we put them on coffee mugs or refrigerator magnets or we crochet them on some sort of doily and we hang them up in a frame somewhere just to remind us that we're special. And maybe you've been looking for a life verse. Let me give you one. 1 Samuel 4.3. Why did the Lord bring defeat upon me? Yeah, sip out of that every morning. And you're going, Chris, I don't think those would sell very well. But isn't that the truth? Why did the Lord bring defeat upon us today? Don't you ever just want to call a timeout in God's major journey? Don't you ever just want to say, hey, God, can I just stop the show for a second? I just want to remind you of something, just in case you forgot. We're on your side. <laughs> they're against you. But if you looked around, it looks like the world is winning. It looks like they're getting away with murder. I'm the one, financially, relationally, emotionally, sexually, I'm the one broken here. And it's not getting better. And the question is why? They take it somewhere inside the tent of what they call their elders. We'll call them generals. And they're sitting around a table. Maybe they got a little Lego representation of the battlefield. And they're trying to figure out why. Oh, we got slaughtered today. 4,000 of our brothers, our fathers, our sons, our uncles, our nephews are down there in the valley. 4,000 we lost. This isn't a trivial thing. God, we're getting our butt kicked here. Why? I'm sure they tried to come up with plans for day two. Maybe, maybe if we build a giant chicken, put about 50 guys inside, we'll wheel it down, knock on the door, we'll run, nah, it's not gonna work. Maybe we could build giant catapults. We'll put our smallest guys in a basket. We'll fling them behind enemy lines. They can attack, they'll never make the fall. And someone says it. 
He's not listed by name. We don't know who he is, but someone in this tent says it. Gentlemen, I think it's time we get the box. And all sets of eyes in that room get huge. Scripture takes us into the conversation. Let us bring the ark of the Lord's covenant from Shiloh so that it may go with us and save us from the hand of our enemies. So the people sent men to the city of Shiloh. They brought back the ark of the covenant of the Lord Almighty who is enthroned between the cherubim. And Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the ark of the covenant of God. And when the ark of the Lord's covenant came into camp, all of Israel raised such a great shout that the ground even shook. This is what I've been waiting for. They realized they got the box. Remember the box? It's about three feet by about two and a half feet. It's covered with gold. It's got little circles on it because you can't even touch it. If you touch it, you die. You have to stick long poles through it and carry it that way. It's got these angels on top. The big Bible word is cherubim. Same deal. These big angels on top. It's the very sign, the symbol, the presence that the one true God is with your people. Oh, that box. Remember, if you lift the lid, it melts people. It's not from the Bible. It's Indiana Jones, but I've seen it. I remember the box. Inside that box, there's three things. Remember what they are? Even if you did, I can't hear you. I got a waterfall behind me. So I can't hear a thing in this thing. But I'll pretend that I heard you. That's right. The Ten Commandments are in the box. Not a copy of the Ten Commandments. Not a picture that some lady painted. The Ten Commandments are in that box. If that sign, that contract that God said, I'll be your God, you'll be my people, here's the type of relationship I want to have. Inside that box is a cane. <laughs> dude named Aaron, old curmudgeon leader of Israel. They were questioning God about what to do. And he goes, God, I don't know. Is this really what you want? And he goes, Aaron, leave your cane outside up against your door overnight. Then check it out in the morning. And his, his old petrified walking stick he leaves outside. The next morning when they came out, the thing had sprung leaves and vines and flowers and it budded. (laughs) That's a good trick. They're like, put that in the box. Third thing in the box. You're right, it's a Tupperware full of Pop-Tarts. That was in the box. Yeah, I know. The Old Testament word is manna, but it's the exact same thing. It's a reminder that when your people came out of slavery, when you left Egypt, when you're in the wilderness, when you were starving, when you cried out to God, God goes, okay, here's what I'm gonna do for you. Every morning when you wake up, go out. On the ground is gonna be Pop-Tarts. You pick the ones you want. Frosted, no frosted, strawberry, blueberry, knock yourself out. Here's the deal. You only get enough for that day. They rot overnight. (laughs) Not like ours. Ours last approximately 580 years right now. Bears rot overnight. It's God's way of saying, just take what you need for today. I'll be here tomorrow. And the next morning they got up, there was manna, Pop-Tarts on the ground. And God goes, by the way, put a couple of those in Tupperware and put them in the box. That's worth remembering. This box, when God brought your people into the promised land, back in the book of Joshua, you came at the wrong time. The Jordan River is at flood stage. And God goes, no problem. Take the box and walk into the flood. And the moment they stepped into the water with the box, the water split. Oh, that's cool. Your very first obstacle is a city called Jericho. 
oh, they have warriors and they have huge walls. You have a bunch of ex-slaves that made bricks. How do you go up against that? The guy goes, Josh, come here. I don't want you to attack it. I want you to put my box out in front, make a parade, and just do circles around. And when I tell you to, just blow your horns. And watch what I do. And the walls caved in. And somewhere in that tent that night, they remembered, we've been in battle and we forgot the box. We gotta get the box. They send men to the city, they bring that box. When that box comes into camp, those that are wounded, those that are beat down, those that felt betrayed, those that felt like they were just lost, stand up and start screaming. Thank you for that. Start cheering. Sit there and cheer so much that the ground shakes because they know what I know eating my popcorn, what Sunday school taught me. You get into a situation, you have a problem, you get God, boom, problem solved. And bonus, your high priest at that time, most religious guy in your nation, has two sons. Next in line to be your high priest, Hophni and Phineas. They come rolling in with the box. Oh, this is a good day for Israel. Now their shouts echo across the valley, across the stream, up the other side, bounce off the olive trees and the boulders and the canyon wall, and they hear it. And the enemy is woken up in the dead of night by the shouts. And the lens of scripture takes us inside their camp, and we get to read their story. Verse six, hearing this uproar, the Philistines ask, what's all the shouting in the Hebrew camp? And when they learned that the ark of the Lord had come into camp, the Philistines were afraid. You think? Now, we're not told how it happened, but I bet I know. This is Chris's word, not God's word, so don't take notes on this part, but I bet I know. The Bible says that they're sound asleep. The world's gotten away. The world's beaten down the Christians. But what happens is the Christians get God in the camp. Their shouts wake up the enemy. And the enemy startled. In the dead of night, they're like, ah, 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 ah. what's that? It's like they're screaming. Or are they crying because we beat them down? No, no, that, that. they're cheering. Cheering? We whooped them. They got to find out. Here's what I bet happened. And every group of guys I ever hung out with and every team I was on, you always had the same type of guys. You had some big old dude that was just yoked. I was always trying to be his friend. You had some smart guy. He was cool to have in the group, but I never understood him. And then you always had some crazy idiot that would do anything. <laughs> and, then, and then we always had some guy that was just faster than lightning. In every group of guys, there was always some guy that could outrun the wind. And we always gave him a cool nickname, like Rodent or Skeeter. And I bet that's what happened. When they wake up, they're like, someone's got to go get Skeeter. And they get Skeeter out of his tent. And Skeeter's like, ah, just a little wiry guy. And they're like, Skeeter, go find out where they're cheating. And before they even finish the sentence, Skeeter's gone. Through the thicket, across the rocks, he runs on top of the water, comes up the other side, grabs the bushes, pulls them and looks. And there he sees the box, people cheering. His eyes get huge. Right on top of the water, up the other side. And probably before they're done. Guys don't panic. When Skeeter gets back, he's like, they're like, Skeeter, what's going on over there? I got you. I got you. I got you. They got a God. They got a God. They got a God. 
The entire world has gods at that point. We got a sun god, a rock god, we got a moon god, a tree god, a big toe god. We got a god for everything. And Skeeter tells them, no, they can't, they can't, they got, they got the box. They've heard the stories of that God. And their conversation. When the Philistines were afraid, uh, a God is coming to camp, they said, we're in trouble. (laughs) Nothing like this has ever happened before. Woe to us! Exclamation point. I shouldn't go there. You know what? I'm catching a plane after this. I don't care. I've always wondered, how do you translate woe to us in the Philistine language? (laughs) They're like, they got the box. They saw Indiana Jones. They're like, you can't fight the box. Oh, and they dropped the W bomb. (laughs) Oh, we are seriously woed right now. You're woed, you're woed, and you're woed. <laughs> Boom. You're, you're woed up right now, dude. <laughs> Who's going to deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods? They're the gods who struck down the Egyptians with all kinds of plagues in the desert. Oh, they know. They don't know the God. They know his track record. They call him little G, not singular, but plural. These gods, little G, these are the gods that took Egypt several hundred years before this. The greatest empire in the known world shattered it, brought it to its knees. You remember the story. Moses, Charlton Heston, was it Yul Brenner comes up, let my people go. He's like, no, plague after plague after plague, death of the firstborn, get your slaves out of here. Split the Red Sea, swallow the army, they know the story. And they know what they know, what I know, what you know, because I went to church. You have a really bad day one, you get God on your side, day two is going to be different. And they start rolling up their bedding. They start packing up. They start heading home. And I'm getting a little bummed. Because I don't know about you. I wanted revenge. I don't know about you. But when I look at the world today, I want revenge. I want a God that hasn't done anything yet to step up and make things right and take care of these suckers. And I don't want them to get away with it anymore. And just when I think they're leaving, just when I think there won't be a battle, he comes riding across their front lines, galloping, hair back in a ponytail. Half of his face is painted blue, the other half is painted white. Philistine Wallace, they call him. (laughs) And he gives this speech. Verse 9. Be strong, Philistines. Be men. Or you will be subject to the Hebrews as they have been subject to you. Be men. 
and fight. You know there was more to it. <laughs> oh, he got him pepped up. One day, laying in your beds, many years from now, would you be willing to come back and trade every day? Oh, yeah. And they start cheering, and these guys are cheering, and I'm excited because I'm going to get what I paid for. They got talked into fighting against God. Okay, my popcorn is all the way down to the kernels, but some are cooked enough where you can actually bite them, and they're good inside, but some just break your teeth, and you don't know which ones until you try them, so I'm trying them all. My Diet Coke is gone because it was only half an ounce and 40 pounds of ice. Now it's melted a little bit of brown water, but I'm sucking it down because a chubby guy sweats just watching a movie. And I'm ready for day two. And here it comes. So the Philistines fought. And the Israelites, God's people, were once again defeated. And every man fled back to his tent. This time, the slaughter was very great. Israel lost 30,000 foot soldiers. The ark of God was captured. And Eli... The high priest, his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, died. And at the end of day two, the camera gives us an aerial shot, and the entire valley is littered with the bodies of the children of God. The little creek is now flowing a dark crimson red. And as the camera follows it through the loss of humanity, on the very bottom of the field, dressed in their religious robes, next in line to be your high priest, Hophni and Phinehas, two brothers lay dead, hands outstretched, not quite touching. And the camera pans up. And there the enemy is doing nothing but giving hugs and high fives. And on the last rays of the evening sun, you can see him glean off of a golden box that they're taking back home as a new souvenir. And the screen goes dark. And credits start rolling up. And the lights come on in the theater. And I want my money back. Have you been there? They did the Christian life exactly how I was told to do it. And at the end of the day, I feel like I deserve my money back. Have you been there? And I know some of you are going, whoa, 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 Chris, the chapter's not over. I'm sure there's the end of the story. God makes everything okay. Well, for the sake of time, you've got to read it on your own. But let me tell you the end of the chapter. <laughs> Word comes back to the town, to the high priest, that his boys died and the box was taken. And the high priest falls off his chair, has a stroke, and dies. Phineas, the high priest's son that was killed, his wife was pregnant. When she hears the same news... The shock sends her into premature labor. They do all that they can, but they can't save her. They're able to save the baby. But because the baby lost its dad, its mom, and its grandfather all on the same day, there's no one to name it. 
So the townspeople gather around and say, we will call the boy Ichabod, which means the glory of God has just left us. So yes, you're right. There's more to the story. And I still want my money back. And they didn't teach me this one in Sunday school. When I was a little kid and I got drugged to church because you had to, when my parents dropped me off in the little kids class at the age of six, the little blue haired lady would come out and tell us Bible stories. We didn't have cool 3D videos and stuff like they have now or vegetables that sang to us. We had a felt board with little figures they would stick on it. There were all kinds of cool stories to learn as a six year old. Different, but with the same message. Boys and girls, boys and girls, watch, watch, listen, listen, watch, watch, listen, listen. And we'd all look up. And she'd remind us at the end of each story. So if you ever get thrown into a lion's den, you just ask God to help them and he'll make sure the lions don't bite you. And I'm like, well, that's good to know. The next week, different story, same meeting. Boys and girls, watch, watch, listen, listen. If you ever have to get thrown into a fiery furnace, you just trust God and he'll help you. That's what happened to these three boys. Oh, that's good to know. Boys and girls, watch, watch, listen, listen. If you ever have to fight a Goliath, no matter how small you are, just believe in God and you will win. If you're ever in the belly of a whale, if you're ever, will you fill in the blanks? They were great stories at six. The problem was eventually I hit 16. And I realized life doesn't work anything close to those children's stories. And by 26, I'm done with it. <laughs> Are you kidding me? They're children's fables. I'll tell you my story, 1 Samuel 4. You cry out to God and he refuses to show up and things get worse. Print it. That's good Bible. But they did everything right. They did what Sunday school taught me. When you get into a problem, you first have to admit you need God's help. You can't handle it. Check the box. They did that. We got beat down on day one. We need to get the box. Don't get God. Step two, you got to turn to religious practices that work, that make sure, okay, God, we're going to do this together. You start going to church and you start praying. Check that. They did that. At that point, they had the box. Get God in this situation. Now we're good. God, take care of this. You go, why isn't life getting better for you? Oh, I know the Sunday school answer. It's because you need faith. Well, how much faith do I need? You better get a lot of faith. And yet when Jesus said we needed faith, he said we need the size of a, I can't hear it, the waterfall, but that's right, mustard seed. <laughs> mustard seed. And yet the church kept telling me, Chris, you just have to have more faith. You have to have more faith. I'm like, how stinking big is one of these mustard seeds? You know, a mustard seed in the Palestinian soil weighs approximately four and a half tons. You need nine cranes to carry a mustard seed. What? A mustard seed is that little sesame seed on top of the Big Mac bun. Please don't tell me you pick them off. You don't even know they exist. And people, let me tell you, they had faith. They had so much faith. God was gonna do something. They made the ground shake. And their cheers and belief in this God woke up the enemies. And let me tell you what happens. 
when you really admit you need God's help, when you start praying to him, and when you really believe he's gonna do something, you are gonna wake up the next day tired, frustrated, depressed, and incredibly disappointed in this God. And that's biblical. That's biblical. And they didn't teach me that in Sunday school. I love the way Dale Ralph Davis wrote about this. He's an incredible commentator on the books of the Bible. And in this passage in 1 Samuel, he says this, talking about this battle scene. What the Israelites did that day was not faith. It was superstition. It's what I call rabbit foot theology. When we, whether Israelites or Christians, operate this way, our concern is not to seek God, but to control God. We don't want to submit to him. We simply want to use him. So we prefer religious magic to spiritual holiness. We are interested in our own success, not in repentance. Yahweh, the one true God, will suffer shame rather than allow you to carry on a false relationship with him. And Yahweh, the one true God, will allow you to be disappointed with him daily if it will help awaken you to the sort of God he really is. Maybe somebody told you, Christian, you know what? Things go better when you pray. Then what's the goal of prayer? That things go better for us? Isn't the goal of prayer to meet with the one true God? And when the American church stops chanting that God is worthy and starts chanting that God is useful, that's when we know our box has been stolen again. And we have done a great job in the American church of trying from the littlest ages up to say, all you gotta do is say a prayer and for the rest of your life, God works for you. And I control him by giving him my list in my prayers. And when he doesn't answer him, you're darn right I have a reason to be frustrated with him. He's not living up to his end of the deal. I said my original prayer, now chop, chop. That's what Israel did. They got into the battle. They realized they had God in the box. Get God. Come on, God. Come on. Get out of the box. Get out of the box. Sick it. Take care of them. Oh, good God. Good God. Good God. Back in the box. And we do the same thing. I go through life. Come across a financial situation. Maybe have to lose the house. Don't have enough money to pay bills. What do I do? I got God. Come here, God. Come here. Get it. Get it. Oh, good God. Oh, good God. Back in the box. I get to a relationship situation. It's not going well. He wants a divorce. She wants to leave. Or you don't have a relationship. What do you do? Get God. Come here, God. Get it. Get it. Oh, good God. Good God. Back in the box. I get to a place where I don't like where I'm working. <clears throat> I'm having conflict at work. Or you've lost your job. It's been how long since you've tried to find a new one? But what have you been doing? Come here, boy. Come here. Get it. Oh, good God. Good God. Back in the box. Huh? I know. You're sitting there going, hey, San Diego boy. <laughs> Up in Michigan, we don't like treating God like some big dog. That's exactly the point. God refuses to work for us 
and to be called into our problems. If you go back and read the two chapters before this, chapters two and three in 1 Samuel, those chapters make it clear. God has pointed out, here's my problem. The sexuality of those that go to church is no different than the sexuality outside of church. The percentage of pornography users in the church is no different than those outside the church. God made it clear, the way you do things, your ethics, those that go to church, are the exact same ethics of those who don't go to church. God said the character of people that go to church is not different than the character of those that don't. That's 1 Samuel 2 and 3. And God says, I'm done. I'm done. And Israel gets in a problem. They expect God to help them. And God goes, I don't know if I've made this clear or not, but I'm done. Okay, I'm going to do this. I know there's a clock on the screen, but I know there's not another service. So here we go. And I'm flying home. So if you're upset at the next few statements, just say, dear Brad. Let me go from preaching to meddling. You know why God's not answering any of your prayers about your financial situation? Your finances have never been his. So why would he care about your bills and what you make? Because you come to church and tip God. <laughs> we changed the word tithe to tip. I threw in a 20. Knock yourself out. Do you think God's really sitting around excited about building your kingdom when we were supposed to be about his? Do you know why God's not giving you any direction relationally? Why he hasn't allowed someone else to come into your life? Because your relationships have never been God's. They've been yours. So I don't think he cares who you date or who you marry or how it's going. Do you know why God's not answering our prayers about our job situation? Because our workplace has always been about us, not his mission field. So why would he care to bless our kingdom? And he said, Israel, you're playing religion. It's going to leave you tired, frustrated, and depressed. And he goes, if that can rock you, if that will awaken you to what I really want, this one's going to hurt. Oh, day two is going to hurt. And it's a God saying, He would rather be with people who fear him than with those that want to use him. And he says, I'm going with them today. And this one's going to hurt. We've made God into this cosmic Coke machine where when I have a problem, I run up, I take out my change, I put in my prayers, I hit what I want, I expect to come out like, woohoo, thanks, big G. See you when I need another hit. And if it hasn't dawned on you, Jesus did not die on the cross to work for you. Jesus did not die on the cross so he can be at our beck and call to answer our prayers. God sacrificed his only son so that he can buy us, own us. Jesus will never be a part of our lives. He will take all or nothing But he will not sit back and be our servant when we feel like praying to help us build our kingdom. And he goes, kids, this one's gonna hurt. But for generations, I want them to see and understand the heart of this God. 
Let me tell you something. Instead of trying to get religious to get God on your side, we better start focusing on getting right to be on God's side. Otherwise, I tell you, you're gonna want your money back from this Christianity because it's religion and religion is worthless. And in Southern California, people talk about how we're reaching all the unchurched. And I go, we're not reaching unchurched. We're reaching de-churched. They haven't been to church in 20, 30 years. And the number one reason I get from people and why they don't like church is this. I tried it. I go, what do you mean I tried it? I had a time in my life where I was going to church and I went for a while and I was doing the prayers and it never paid off. God never showed up. I tried it. I go, well, you don't try God. He's not a pink spoon at 31 flavors. You either buy in or you don't. You tried religion. And buddy, let me promise you, it doesn't work. It's worthless. The answer comes three chapters after the battle. And three chapters after the battle, in 1 Samuel 7, it simply says, it was a long time, it was 20 years in all, that the ark remained with their enemies, and all the people of Israel mourned and sought after the Lord. Did you catch that? For 20 years, people were crying out to God. For 20 years, people were sad and looking for God's help. And for 20 years, God goes, keep praying. <laughs> keep praying. And he didn't budge. For 20 years, he let them walk with this lifeless religion and said, keep screaming. And their prophet finally lets the people know, are you done with yourself after 20 years? Because God will let you play the game as long as you want. And Samuel said to them, if, circle, highlight, underline, if you really want to return to the Lord with all of your hearts, then rid yourself of all of your foreign gods, all of your asterisks, commit yourself only to the Lord. Serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hand of your Philistines. So on that day, the Israelites put away all of their idols to Baal and Ashtoreth. And on that day, they decided to serve the Lord only. And on that day, God didn't get on their side. On that day, they got back on God's side. And the chapters start to change. And it took Samuel to say, if, if you're tired of God not working for you, if for the last 20 years, your religion has just been a glimmer of, well, I guess I don't go to hell, but I want my money back here. If you're tired of it and you want to return to him instead of trying to get him to work for you, here's all you got to do. You got two gods in your life. Baal and Ashtoreth. In that time, the Canaanite religions. Baal was the god of success. Ashtoreth, the god of sexuality. I don't know about you, but I'm so glad today we don't have to deal with success and sexuality. <laughs> and Samuel says, are you done? Are you done using God for your own success? Are you done making this life about you? And are you done with all your own desires 
satisfying him in your way? If you are, he'll take you back. And on that day, after 20 years of dead, dry religion, worthless, they chucked it in and said, we're done. And on that day, they say, God, from this moment on, I'm serving you only. And on that day, they found a God and all that comes with it. But Northridge, let me promise you, God will never, ever be part of your life. He is way too big. He will take all, or he will take nothing. And he will allow you to play the game. That I come to church, I put in my token prayers and my tip. He's part of my life. And you're frustrated he's not answering prayers. When he wants all of you. All of you. And the amazing mind-blowing thing about this God is that in spite of who I am and what I've done, he takes me back when I'm done with me. And I get to be on his side. Oh, what a story that they never taught me in Sunday school. And it took me about 20 years to figure out. And I hope you allow someone else to pay your dumb tax today so you don't have to go through it. It's why Jesus walked around constantly saying, follow me, follow me, follow me, follow me, follow me, follow me, follow me. Follow, never use me. Never once did he tell the crowd, here's how to use me. No, he goes, no, you be like me. It's why when the rich young ruler comes up, and when the scribes and Pharisees come up, he say, out of all the commandments, what's the most important? He goes, you love God. Oh, you love God with all that you are and all that you have. You realize there's one God and you love God. That's all you need to know. It's why the last night in John 15 in the upper room with his boys, the night he's going to be taken out to the mock trial on the cross, he goes, guys, there's 11 things I need you to know. 11. And it wasn't about more faith. It wasn't about a better prayer life. It wasn't about how to get God into a situation. He goes, I want you to know 11 things. I'm the vine. <laughs> You're a branch. This Christian life will not work if you try to go live and expect God to do something. I want you to take notes. 11 things. I want you to remain. Just remain with me. I want you to remain. To remain, to remain, to remain. Then I want you to do five more things. I need you to remain. To remain, to remain, to remain, and to remain. Guys, the guards are coming. So I want to give you one last thing. You remain with me. Famous last words. He wanted that word echoing in their ears. Don't live your life and expect God to show up when you need him. You remain. What were you doing in the battle on day one without him? Well, it's the workplace. I can handle that. Well, congratulations. Now it's you handling it. He goes, just remain with me. And he goes, I'll be all that you need. But apart from me, those famous words, you can do, I'm going to pretend like you said nothing. <laughs> I love this thing. And from six years old on, they told me, all you do is say a prayer. Boys and girls, watch, watch, listen, listen. If you ask Jesus into your heart today, the rest of your life, all you have to do is call on him and he'll help you. Oh, what a pathetic excuse for Christianity. And on that day, I bought religion. And all that it didn't come with. So I want to close in a prayer today.
And as I do that, I just wonder if some of you have been here just window shopping Christianity, maybe for weeks, maybe for months, maybe in and out for the last few years. If some of you have been trying to figure out what's this God thing about and how does it work? And today's the day you go, you know what, I get that. I want that. Or maybe some of you have been playing religion and today you realize I've never surrendered. I've just been a little bummed that God's not working for me. (laughs) And you learn today, he will never call you boss. And instead of getting religious, you realize I gotta get right with God. And in this prayer, here's what I want you to do. I'm gonna lead you right now through a simple prayer on how to say, God, I'm done with me and I need you. That simple fact that we've taken our life, we've done it our way, that cost us. We've taken our life from God. A just God demands a life for that. And instead of us paying for it, which we could never do, he sent his only son to die on a cross to say, he's gonna pay for you. So in the eyes of God, you can be right because on our own, we can never be right in the eyes of God. He goes, my boy will pay for it. It's a free gift. Oh, it costs God everything. But for us, it's a free gift. And today you say, Chris, I wanna accept that. I wanna ask God to take all of me, not a part of me, all of me, because I'm done doing it my way. Then I'm gonna ask you in this prayer just to pray between you and God. You don't have to say it out loud in your heart and your mind. So right now, let's all pray with our eyes closed and you're sitting here saying, I wanna do that. For the first time, you wanna give your life to God. Wherever you're sitting, just say this. God, thanks for bringing me here today. Man, I needed to hear this. I have done this so wrong, and I've done so much wrong. It's hard for me to believe that you love me. It's harder for me to believe that you really like me. But God, today I just wanna say I'm sorry. I ask you to forgive me. I believe that Jesus died to pay my price. I accept that freely. And in return, I ask you to come into my life from this day on, that you would start changing me from the inside out. Teach me how to follow you. Teach me how to give you everything. Teach me how to love you the way you love me. Thank you, God. I am yours. Father, for the rest of us, we've been sitting in church. We've been praying, and instead of things getting better, things have gotten worse. Sometimes that's just life. You're not here to be a magic genie, no matter what state our life is in. We try to think that heaven comes now when you promised it comes later. But God, a lot of us figured out today, man, we've been trying to control you when our life is not surrendered to you. God, may today rock us. May we go and change the things that need to be changed to understand you will never be on our side. But God, your grace and mercy allows us to be on yours. May you find us there today as easy as the Israelites just had to lay down what they were doing and pick you up. May you give us your strength, your spirit to get rid of whatever it is that's keeping us from being all in with you. 
because you have already gone all in on us. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, before you leave, in your bulletin in the back, there's this little connection card. And if you're brave enough to say, you know what, Chris, I said that prayer for the first time today. There's a little box on the bottom of that that we would just love you to check. It'll let the church be praying for you, to help you, to support you on this journey in any way. And on the back of that card, when you rip it off, it tells you how and where to turn it in in the back. Let us know that you started that journey. Next week, come back with a Bible and a heart that says, God, make me. Instead of a heart that says, God, give me. And see what he starts to do in your life. Thanks for having me. Have a great weekend.